Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover Sting's last ride in WWE. It's Night of Champions 2015. But first, we've got one, two, three current wrestling stories we've got to cover. Starting off with SmackDown having a new home. It's leaving Fox for USA for a reported $1.4 billion dollars over five years, or $280 million per year. Kyush, what would you do with $280 million? I guess I'd probably buy Raw. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. It's pretty unimaginable that how much money that they're getting for this kind of thing. If you remember, they were at one point thrown off the USA Network because they didn't want <sighs> anything to do with it. <laughs> Although, here's my question. Why does USA want SmackDown? Do they think SmackDown's... SmackDown's been the A show the last few years because it's been on Fox. I think, like, SmackDown on USA to me goes back to being the B show. I would guess that it's been communicated to them that Raw will be moving on somewhere else. And so they want SmackDown just so they still have a show. Yeah. I mean, that is what we've heard is, like, USA is not interested in also paying for Raw. I still feel like... With USA paying these, you know, Comcast, who have Xfinity, blah, 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 Universal, paying these outlandish rights fees to WWE, why the hell didn't they just buy the company when they had the chance? This is what I'm saying, too. And, like, I'm very confused about that because, especially since we both, we've said a million times, the rights bubble is going to burst. And when it does, you're going to be paying a preposterous amount of money for professional wrestling, possibly more than you're paying for every other show on your network combined, since they don't really have anything anymore. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to pay them $1.4 billion over five years for SmackDown and like something like a billion dollars for the Peacock rights over five years, that's a strong chunk towards the overall purchase price of the company. And you would own it forever instead of rights for five years. And you already have the infrastructure. You don't have to build anything new. You already have it on Peacock. You already have it on USA. Yeah, I don't know. I I still find this confusing. It felt like that was the obvious natural buyer. I think it's great for WWE that they're still going to keep getting paid this money. It's also funny because, like, the the sell price for WWE didn't wind up being that high. Like, it wasn't, like, implausibly, impossibly high for other people to get in on. I guess that's another part that confused me about it. Like, there really didn't turn out to be that many bidders, it seemed like. No. Uh, This is, I mean, this is a step back for the company that they're not going to be, unless Raw is going to get on broadcast TV. Like, not being on broadcast TV anymore is definitely a loss for the company. They're going to have less reach and smaller viewership as more and more people move away from cable. Yeah, I feel like the missing piece to this is definitely what's going on with Raw, because if it turns out that Raw's going on main NBC, well then shit, it, this doesn't matter at all. But it, it really does remain to be seen what's going to happen with that. Yeah. Second, AEW Grand Slam. We got all sorts of news here. Eddie Kingston is the new Ring of Honor champion. Sammy Guevara turned heel and kicked Chris Jericho in the balls. Uh, Phoenix upset John Moxley to win the international title because Moxley got a concussion. Thankfully, not on either of those pile drivers, although it's kind of crazy that he took two pile drivers while he had a concussion. 
I haven't gotten a direct answer about this because I've heard conflicting things that it may have always been the plan for Phoenix to win that match. And then that's why, like, the so the ref blew the spot. So it wasn't just that Moxley didn't kick out when he was supposed to. The ref also blew it. I don't really know, but all sorts of shit was fucked up with that match. Yeah, my understanding um, is that... So we know Moxley is injured. Adam Cole also suffered an ankle injury, and his status is a little unclear. Speculation, he may not be able to work at Wrestle Dream. We're recording this Tuesday night, so we don't know what's going to happen on Dynamite. Um, overall, I thought it was a good show. They ended up with about 10,000 people in attendance. They had a really strong walk-up and some good promotional work at the end. MJF was everywhere. MJF was, like, at the Mets games on the New York morning shows, they really got him out there and they sold a lot of tickets um, in the last couple days. It must be said that like, it wasn't until I saw this promotional run by MJF that it occurred to me that WWE's never really had a guy who had New York like this since like Bruno. Like, I can't really think of any, like, That's interesting. like Dude. there hasn't been like a hometown right. New York star like this that I can remember in a long time. I think that's right, unless I'm forgetting somebody. That's so yeah, that's cool. That's a great opportunity for MJF to brand himself as like not New York City, baby, the other side, the Staten Island, Long Island side. <laughs> I'm that guy. Uh, Wrestle Dream is this weekend. It's shaping up to be an interesting show. Outside of, of course, Danielson versus Zack Saber, what are you most looking forward to? Um, I'm pretty hyped for basically every single match up and down the card. I don't think that there's like a home run match on the card, aside from Danielson, Zack Sabre, which yeah. is one of those matches that we've all had like mentally penciled in. It's actually really funny because I don't know that a ton of people know who Zack Sabre Jr. is outside of the question, who is the greatest technical wrestler in the world? He's just yeah. sort of like one of those guys that we've all had mentally in our head as that person. Because if you don't watch New Japan a lot, you probably haven't seen him wrestle. Yeah, this feels like kind of like that in your house mind games where there's the one gigantic match and then the rest of it is, you know, fine, but nothing huge. And that's just fine. It's kind yeah. of a second level pay-per-view and we're going to get more of these as it seems like they're going to start running more and more pay-per-views. And I feel great about that because AEW is uniquely set up for this sort of thing. Where I feel like they have the capacity to put on like one amazing, awesome, huge match every month and then like a bunch of cool undercard stuff. And they can just do that no matter what. Doesn't even have to be the same guys. You can give MJF a couple month break. You can give Moxley a vacation for once. And you can still do pay per views with guys like Orange Cassidy in the main event, you know? All right. And then finally, we've got a bunch of free agent news. First, Jade Cargill's WWE sign-in is official. They've announced it to great fanfare. This is the most they've hyped up a free agent signing in a very long time. This is cool. I think we've said since Shinsuke, because they Probably. kept Ronda secret coming in. Yeah, um, Cody and Ronda were both secrets. So it's been a while since they really hyped up a free agent. It's actually fascinating, too, because as I told you earlier today, I it used to be that when free agents came in, like my butthole would clinch up because I'm like, no, you're going to ruin these people. After the atrocity that was Mystico and Awesome Kong being annihilated in the same year, never to be heard from again, 
Like, it made me so scared. And Kenta, the same thing. Nakamura, really the same. But now, I don't really have any doubts that this is going to go great. This feels like a can't-miss situation for them. Like, this, she will fit immediately into a storyline with, like, your Charlottes and your Oscars and whatever else. I feel like the WWE women's division is full of way more veterans who can definitely help her in the ring. This is a great situation. And then that match on the horizon with Rhea Ripley, that's going to draw, yeah. bro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just – so many big potential matches for her. I Charlotte, Becky, Rhea, it feels like you've got a couple years' worth of WrestleMania matches. Fucking Bianca, all right, all hell right yes. For, yeah. Um, now, are you ready for me to read off this massive list of WWE releases? Let's play an inside game uh, called okay. Would You Hire This Person <laughs> If You Were a Wrestling Promotion Now? Okay. Dolph Ziggler. Hell fucking yes, I would. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Maybe not AEW, but like definitely Impact. I mean, he could definitely bring some value to Impact. He could bring value to AEW. They just feel a little full at the moment. I mean, he's a guy who's going to seems like he'll be a home run agent. He's great in any locker room. He could be he could very well, considering the shape he's been, be like a Billy Gunn and still be wrestling 10 years from now, for all we know. Like he's definitely got plenty in the tank. And I feel like I wish so badly he had been released like five years ago when I felt like he could really like torn the indies apart. Elias, like the guy, but probably not. I don't see a lot of value. Emma. Probably. Yeah. I mean, she's a great fit in any like women's division anywhere in the world. Matt Riddle. Fuck no. Fuck you, buddy. Take your shit to MLW. Shelton Benjamin. I'm a big fan, but he's almost 50. I don't know that there's a ton of value there. Maybe as an agent. As an agent? Absolutely. Another one of like the best guys in the business. Fantastic. Yeah. Mustafa Ali. Oh, 100%. I think this guy's a star. Let me be clear. Especially since, like, Mustafa Ali always looked really small in WWE, but, like, if you put him on the indies where he's the same size as everybody else, this yeah. guy is a god. Like, he is can annihilate people on the microphone. He can do anything in the ring that you could possibly want. He's got tons of crazy great ideas. This guy I would build a company around. Riddick Moss. I like the look. Nah, he's just a look, bud. <laughs> <laughs> and he's and he's 33 and what has he ever done yeah, yeah. no thank you Aaliyah, i gotta confess i don't really know who this is uh she's a former uh, women's tag team champion um yeah. she was just uh one of the call-ups who didn't make a huge impression she seems fine i don't know that she'll make a huge impact yeah rick boogs nope Finding out that he was a Vince thing, that the second yeah. Vince lost power, Triple H was like, put him in a cellar somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and he must have said it to Rick's face because Rick's immediate response yeah. on Twitter was to be like, I lost my job because of political bullshit. Triple H told this man to his face, you are useless. You will never have another Suck match here. Ass. Um, Mace from Retribution. Mace and Mansoor have been doing like this Twitch stream stuff ever since they got released. That is incredible. If you haven't gone and watched like their backs, like, their stories that they've been telling about their time together, these are two genuinely charismatic dudes. I think they're going to fall on their feet somewhere for real. Yeah, I like this guy's so big. 
Wait, yeah. Who was this guy? Was he in the Raw thing? Was he the big dude who beat everybody up? Oh, did he, think, do comment- did he do commentary for a while? Yeah, I think so. That is so strange. He was on commentary. This guy's got a... They've got killer personalities, both of them do. Like... Yeah, and he's... Yeah, like, legitimately, like, 6'6", 320 pounds NFL offensive lineman. If you haven't gone and watched, like, they put online, like, a pitch video that they made for being, like, bodyguards for Dolph Ziggler or something like that, where they're, like, riding around in suits doing, like, Pulp Fiction bodyguard shit. Go find that and watch it. Anybody who's capable of making videos like that has a future in the business. Yeah, Mansoor, kind of surprised he got released given the Saudi Arabia relationship. Finding out that the reason he was in all these weird gimmicks and never wrestled was because he wasn't allowed to lose due to the contract with Saudi Arabia <laughs> was wild. Man. Uh, Dana Brooke, I don't think so. I mean, I know that they tried to get things going with her online a bunch. Like, they're, they're, she has her fans, but I just don't I don't really know where she's a good fit. Maybe Impact? Sure. Maybe. Shanky. I also don't know who this says. Just a big dude. I mean, no, not really. <laughs> really, really big. Seven footer. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, Human Jiro. I don't know who that is. Neither do I. Oh, no, no, no. Elisa, uh, he was the one who was Gianna. tag teaming with uh, Kushida in NXT. Uh, Quincy Elliott. I swear some of these are made up. Most of the ones from NXT were people who never actually made it to TV. Yeah. Bryson Montana, Kevin no. Ventura Cortez, Daniel MacArthur. These names are so generic. And Alexis a bunch of pe- Gray. Yeah, a bunch of the people were Brooke just people who were on NIL deals and weren't even in the company. Yeah. Who the fuck is Brooklyn Barrow? Uh, apparently like a college football player. Again, that's another NIL deal. They like they weren't even in the company yet. Barlow, I spelled it wrong. <laughs> I think the only one you missed was Top Dalla, who, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. My question was, anyone here you're excited to kind of see hit the free agent market? And I think we answered that. The, the answer for most of them is no, but there's a few of these who are kind of intriguing. And Mustafa, Dolph, and Mansoor and Mace? Absolutely. I'm excited to see what happens with them. Everybody else? Nah, not really. <laughs> All right. With that, we can proceed to the reason we're here. Night of Champions 2015. Uh, WWE is coming off a huge SummerSlam at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. In the main event, The Undertaker beat Brock Lesnar. Um, Seth Rollins retained the WWE Championship and won the U.S. Championship from John Cena after Daily Show host Jon Stewart interfered. How about that? That That's still such a weird footnote in wrestling history, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, the Raw the night after SummerSlam, John Cena hit John Stewart with the AA. And I think John Stewart said that was one of his favorite moments in his entire entertainment career. Lesnar and Undertaker not working Night of Champions, so we need a different main event this month. And I guess Rollins versus Cena didn't big enough seem big enough, so they made a call. Who'd they call? They called the legend. 
They called the icon. They called Sting! How did you feel at the time as a, a little baby Stinger um, who was getting to watch him wrestle for a world title again? I was so fucking excited. I was like a pig in shit when Sting came out of the box. Also, somebody finally listened to Jim Cornette. Anybody who comes out of a box is automatically over. Absolutely. <laughs> so we hadn't seen Sting since he lost to Triple H at WrestleMania. And when he wasn't part of SummerSlam, it just you know it seemed like maybe his WWE run was over, that it was just going to be the one match. I assumed it was just the one match that literally they just brought him in for that one thing. And that would have been perfectly fine. The idea that in the middle of the summer, like, oh, by the way, we're just going to give him a world title match out of fucking nowhere is crazy. Well, there were rumors that he might be at SummerSlam and answer a John Cena U.S. Open challenge, which would have been some of the coolest shit ever. I'm coming back for the U.S. title. John Cena versus, I mean, Sting. In the, I mean, John Cena is the modern Sting, right? Just If you just gave the guy some face paint, he would literally be Sting from 1991. You're absolutely right. And it's very funny that they would have that match of two people who you'd rather see wrestle The Undertaker five years ago. <laughs> so the night after SummerSlam, Seth is supposed to be presented with a statue of himself, but instead when they open the box, it's Sting. Unfortunately, he looked kind of lame because he was really it was really hot in the box and his face painted sweated off. This is one of those things, too, where like this is one of those WWE segments where like, you know, that something's going to happen at the end of it. So you have to stay with it. But it's unbearably lame the entire time it's going on. And you're just like, come on. This was a full ass 15 minutes of Triple H and Stephanie and Rollins talking, and I thought it was just going to be Cena coming out of the box, which would have been so lame. Instead, though, I mean... Yeah, it's Sting. Now, what did you think about Sting's whole look during this run? Because obviously it's different. Um, He doesn't look great here, but... I hated the red jacket because I thought he looked like a bellhop. Sure. Um, I hated that he was still trying so hard to go with, like, the hair, with the haircut he was doing, because he yeah. looked like a, a minister. <laughs> I What should he have done with the hair? Definitely dye, definitely dye it black. Like, darker looks better, I think. Just fucking wear a wig, man. Come on. <laughs> oh, man. He actually would have looked kind of cute. He actually would have looked kind of awesome in a wig. Like, honestly, like, so many of the girls do it. Just fucking ask them which, where they go. Like, Kane it's going to be was, fine. Kane, Kane, was, Kane, Kane was wearing a wig at this point. Yeah, just fucking put a weave in, man. It's going to be fine. But, like, don't go with, like, your incredibly rapidly thinning sad hair. Like, you look like an old man. He was in awesome shape. Which made it more puzzling that he was frequently wearing the Sting t-shirt. That's the thing, too, is that, like, he's presented like an old man. Like, they don't really yeah. give him the opportunity to show, like, oh, man, I still got it. There's no Goldberg moment where he takes off, like, the clothes and you're like, what the fuck? He can still look like that? No, when he, he was took, when, he great shape. Took, when he finally took the T-shirt off, it's like, oh, he's in better shape than in Starcade 97. Like, Sting's like, oh, you want to put this version of Sting over. And he'd been working out, like, crazy, clearly, because he's in much better shape than he ever was in TNA. So Rollins is going to do double duty 
first he's going to have to defend the U.S. title against Cena, and then he's going to defend the WWE title against Sting. I was thinking to myself, what if they need to pop the ratings? What could pop it? What if Sting actually gets the world title here? Would have happened if it was TNA. I'm going to be honest. I would have done that, and I'm still not 100% sure they weren't going to do it because the way that this match ends is... I think Seth should have beat... I think he should have beat Cena, but then lost to Sting is the way this goes. Because he's got an out. If Sting beats him, he already had to wrestle John fucking Cena in a match before that. Like, it's no shame that Sting beat him given that. Sting can just drop the belt back to him a month later. And then he can keep feuding, or he could just keep feuding with Cena for the U.S. belt, and you can move on and do something else with Sting. I, I just, I, and the way that this is going to go, and we'll talk about this more when the main event happens, it's real awkward, the transition from one match to another, because <laughs> when he's lost the one, and he's starting to look like a baby crying and trying to run away, for him to then beat Sting clean is weird as shit. It was, I mean, it was really kind of a burial of Sting, but Vince just has no in- it has no interest in staying. He's not into this shit. I mean, which is fair, but you don't have to do this at all. So Sting wrestled his first ever match on Monday Night Raw on the Go Home episode of Raw for this. First, he beat the Big Show by DQ after Rollins interfered. And then him and Cena beat Rollins and Big Show when Sting tapped Rollins out with the Scorpion Deathlock. Was it was Sting versus Big Show an homage to WSW Monday Nitro circa 1998? I wonder if they just asked Sting, like, hey, who are you comfortable with wrestling? And he's like, well, the only guy here I've ever wrestled is him. So I guess him. Is that the only guy? Did we just trigger stump Steve? We haven't, but I don't think he ever wrestled Jericho. I don't think. No, weirdly. Yeah. Have him and Jericho worked in AEW yet? I don't think that they've had. They had a tag match, right? I think. Yeah, yeah at, uh, the, at a Forbidden Door, they did. Yeah, they still have not done the singles match, which it feels like they have to at some point. But yeah, um, I'd have to think about that, whether there's anybody in this company he's worked with. But it's not a long list. But Big Show was also part of the authority at the time, so it made sense. But it, it did kind of feel like they're having Sting wrestle somebody he knows how to work with. Him and the big man had worked together. I mean, that just makes sense, and that's smart. And also, he knows that Big Show's, like, soft as a feather, so he's not going to get hurt, which is another good reason to have it be him. So Raw's ratings were a big topic of conversation. With Monday Night Football kicking off, they fell to their lowest rating levels since 1997. Um, This is as their TV rights are coming up for renegotiation, so it's definitely, you know, cause for concern. No, wait. They've got a new TV deal because SmackDown is just about to move to USA. But it's of enough concern that, like, Vince calls a big roster-wide meeting and announces there's going to be some big changes coming. I have no idea what those big changes turned out to be. I don't I mean, I know that there's a, there's a roster split later, but I don't think it's until yeah, next year, right? Almost a year later. That's the next summer. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. this is when they conceive of it. I can't think of anything huge that changes aside from them abruptly taking the belt off of Rollins and de pushing the shit out of him. That, no, he got hurt. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he tore his ACL up. So it wasn't that they took the belt off him. Yeah, I'm not really yeah. sure what is meant by that then. So I've got a bunch of stories here that are 
they're just they just feel too the, the lightning round is jovial these feel a little too serious for the lightning round um probably the biggest story in wrestling this summer was the hulk hogan n-word tape scandal um oh, that broke july or august like hogan at the time was all over he was on tv a lot he was the company spokesman he was the host of tough enough and overnight they scrubbed his existence away he fired from the company taken off tough enough they even like removed all references to him from the wwe website this was pretty bad of course this is all kinds of famous now because this ends up being the case against Gawker that put Gawker out of business. It's a whole fascinating story how Peter Thiel financed this lawsuit to get revenge on Gawker. But anyway, I, I don't know. Like Real impact here, not much. Hogan's role at this point was purely ceremonial, but still a big you know, black eye for WWE at the time. I mean, the real impact is that Hulk Hogan is one of the five most important people in wrestling history, and he's a laughingstock joke forever. Like, there's no, he's never going to come back from this. Any wrestling fan who started watching in the last 10 years only knows him as a hilarious joke punchline piece of shit. Like, it's just wild to see somebody who was this important in this industry for this long be, like, buried with a shovel never to be heard from again. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they eventually have brought him back, but it's a, every time he's shown up, it's been a little weird. It yeah, just it's doesn't a, feel right. He's never going to be Hulk Hogan again. Like, you can't put it back in the jar, you know? Another major story, Jimmy Snuka was finally, after 30 years, indicted for the murder of Nancy Argentina. That happened all the way back in 1983, but it took until 2015 for him to finally be charged. Ultimately, he never stood trial. He was found mentally incapable of being put on trial, and he died of stomach cancer shortly thereafter. I remember feeling like, at the time, I was like, there's no way they're actually going to put him in prison. He's so sick. Like, there's really no point. I mean, the real answer is he just should have been charged back in the 80s, but... Some things happened that prevented that from happening. It's, I think it's at least good that her family got this vindication that he was charged. And I wonder if maybe they did it because they like he was in such bad health. Maybe this just was an attempt to get this on the record before he died. Yeah. Just so like I think that was part of it. They could at least have some solace about this. Um, I what I remember thinking about this at the time the most was that I was desperate for somebody to put Vince on the stand and yeah. force him to justify this because I remember, remember this could take Vince down. Yeah, at the time we were all desperate for Vince to stand trial for something. God knows what a, like a, a justice erection we've all gotten since then, <laughs> but. Yeah. At the time, it didn't seem like anything was ever going to take him down. Yeah, and like there's like in Snooka's own book, Snooka recalls Vince meeting with the police and bringing a briefcase and then leaving without the briefcase. That's for whatever reason Snooka included that in his biography. It's just funny because he must have thought that he was never going down for this, and so he released like an OJ if I did it kind of book. Um, it, it's just really funny because we all knew probably for years and years and years that there were really only two things Vince had done that could really take him down. One was this, but there wasn't enough evidence. We didn't think it was ever going to happen. And the other was like the Rita Chatterton thing, which is what actually took him down. 
And this was a really disturbing incident. A deranged fan was shot by police in the Performance Center parking lot. He had been trying to, he'd been stalking Lita and he was trying to get into the Performance Center to see her. Uh, they thought, I, I don't know if he actually had a knife or if they just thought he did. I couldn't even Googling a little bit find whether or not he was killed in the shooting or not. But uh, a very, you know, disturbing incident. And there was just this weird, there had been all these incidents in the couple months leading up to this of fans jumping into the ring. Like we had three or four serious incidents of fans attacking wrestlers or jumping in the ring during the matches and then we had another one on this show, and I just remember having this feeling like something terrible was going to happen. And thankfully, nothing did, but we came really close to something bad happening here with this guy and Lita. Until you mentioned this pre-show, I had completely kind of forgotten about this feeling of dread that was, like, hanging over yeah. this time. And, like, I, I I can't even really put my finger on it directly now but I, and you're right. I distinctly remember feeling like there was like a news story every week about like this guy jumped the guardrail, this guy stalking one of the divas. Like I don't remember when the Sonya Deville Mandy Rose thing happened. I feel like that was a couple years later. But there was that just was like tw- that was that was tw- that was 2020. That was during the pandemic. That okay. one was fun. That one was fucking terrifying. That yeah, that's was- the wildest one ever. Yeah. But it just seemed like it's almost like there was like a, a message board somewhere in the deep dark dank folds of the internet where people were like plotting their own January 6th, like, Hey, we're going to jump the guardrail here in Florida. And then we're going to go down the road and do it again in Georgia. I've just never seen it happen this much. I think Seth got like attacked by a fan. And this was not the more, there was a more serious one a few years ago where some guy like really like tuned him up. That was, I think where the guy, somebody catfished him pretending to be Seth Rollins and like scammed him out a bunch out of a bunch of money. I think Yeah, that was more recent. That's not funny for Seth or for that guy, but in reality, that's extremely funny that a guy thought that Seth Rollins was defrauding him out of thousands of dollars, so he jumped the guardrail at Raw, jumped on stage, ran down the ramp like he was making his debut, and fucking shoulder-blocked Seth Rollins. Oh, man, that was back when Twitter had real verification, so he really should have known better. Today, who fucking knows? <laughs> Every There could probably 50 blue check marks Seth Rollins' accounts today. Also, most of the time, if a wrestler online is asking for money, it probably is that wrestler, to be honest. Wrestling's a cardi industry. (laughs) All right. After all that, are you ready for a WWE Network era lightning round? Let's go. Ring of Honor coincidentally also had a double champion as Jay Lethal was both the TV champion and the world champion. That's interesting. Um, not, I wonder how many, Jay Lethal, I believe we did a test one time where we were like, how far into the present can we go where Steve can name the Ring of Honor champion? And Jay Lethal was the last one. Yeah, I, I have no memory of who he lost this title to. Me neither. Matt Tavin or some shit? I don't know. <laughs> UFC announced that Ronda Rousey defend her UFC Women's Championship against Holly Holm on January 2nd. No, Ronda, don't do it. Yes, let's. If you ever become a time traveler, go back in time and tell her not to fight this fight against the person who's just going to try to punch her in the face, because that turns out to be her weakness. Yeah. 
Ballers, starring Dwayne Johnson, premiered on HBO. Were you a big Ballers fan? I never I've, really got into this show. I'd I've watched seen the first season episode. and just didn't. I watched the first season and it just maybe it got better as it went on, but it felt like they couldn't figure out whether it was going to be a drama or a comedy, and it really wasn't terribly funny or dramatic. I remember Googling because I was vaguely curious, like, huh, it's HBO. I wonder if, like, the Rocket's naked on the show. But that's literally the only interaction I ever had with it. Minneapolis was reported to be a lock to get WrestleMania in either 2016 or 2017. Nope. All these years later, they're still waiting. I mean, they did get their new stadium around that time, so I'm sure they were in the bidding. But, like... It's difficult to believe they're ever going to choose Minneapolis, you know. I've heard they're I've heard they're getting it next year, but then then I heard Nashville's going to get it. I don't think either one of those is a particularly great idea. <laughs> a week later, it was reported Philadelphia would host WrestleMania in 2018. Also, no, although they're finally getting it next year. It's just so funny to me. Like I, they should probably just go ahead and plan it out like years in advance. Though in this case. Like, I think the Nashville one is because they finally got a new stadium. Because that's really all, like, Vince is looking for is, like, get me yeah. a brand Set new the fucking record. stadium. Yeah. Yeah. A motion to demi- dismiss Dr. Christopher Amon's lawsuit against CM Punk and Colt Cabana was rejected. And somehow, all these years later, CM Punk is still punching people in the face over this. This is... One of the most underrated things that have happened in wrestling in our lifetime, like the ripple effect from this injury, right? He gets from Ryback or whoever, like literally like resounds through the ages. I think like this week, Ryback posted a video of him like trying to show that he didn't actually hurt CM Punk. When, when I was looking up what the stump Steve for this one would be, like, I somewhat mean-spiritedly Googled, like, who did Ryback hurt? And there's, like, <laughs> at least of, like, 15 fucking people. And I'm like, this is a bummer. We're not doing this. Even longer than, even longer than Nia Jax's list. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Blue Pants was said to have massive heat due to being allowed to work outside dates and presumably making more money than any of the women who are full-time in NXT. This is extremely funny. So Blue Pants is Leva Bates, who was a a part-time stunt woman, wrestled for Shimmer. She was only a local talent because she lived in Tampa because she worked at Universal Studios in her free time. And so, like, she's only here because she was just a local wrestler who kind of got over with a kooky gimmick. So, yeah, she could wrestle other things. And she had other jobs. (sighs) She was just a normal person. (laughs) Not allowed. Not allowed. The writing team was reportedly considering introducing Sister Abigail as a character. This idea was around for fucking years. I think if they had ever found somebody in development that they thought was a good fit for this, it definitely would have happened. I remember Nikki Cross was, I think, the closest they ever got to actually picking a person. That's um, but they are. I remember thinking for some reason I thought it would be AJ Lee just because it could turn out that AJ meant Abigail. That would be interesting. Um, it, it's very funny. Somebody one time I remember like pitched like, look, just make it Bo Dallas and Dre. 
One time Bray was going to wrestle his sister Abigail, yes. and thankfully he got meningitis and stopped it from happening. It was going to be uh, the fee, or, uh, <laughs> the demon, Finn yeah. Balor versus Sister Abigail. And luckily, oh. he had a three-way with Roman Reigns and his wife. <laughs> and and so suddenly, that all got ruined. Allegedly. I'm saying allegedly with the fingers. <laughs> yeah, and instead we got Finn Balor versus AJ Styles, which no one complained about. Yeah, thank God. Johnny Ace got engaged to the Bella's mom. Speaking of the word allegedly. Okay, I want you to imagine whatever job you have out there that has some semblance of human resources. There's no way this would ever be allowed to happen, right? (laughs) This is very strange. I want you to imagine. Also, we're ignoring all of the stories that literally Johnny Ace made the Bellas have sex with him to get their jobs. We'll just we'll put that to the side as hearsay, even though dozens of people have said that it is exactly what he did. And it was proven that he did do that to other people. The fact that you sleep with these girls and then <laughs> marry their mom is so can't fucked be doing up. That. Holy shit. As their mom, what are you doing? Stephanie McMahon sold $2.6 million worth of WWE stock. That stock would be worth over $15 million today. Actually, a little less because I calculated this before their stock took a little dip after they announced the new TV deal. But still, sure, over $14 million this stock would be worth today. I remember reading that story the first time being like, oh, Stephanie's cashing out. She's, She's leaving like Shane. And then finding out like, of the curve. Yeah, and then finding out, too, that she still had, like, a shitload more stock, and it didn't matter. Yeah, my guess is, like, her and Triple H were probably, like, building a house or something yeah. and needed the cash or something like that. Absolutely. Uh, Lucha Underground announced it would return for a second season, and somehow the future of wrestling was formed. We're going to do a fucking show. About Lucha Underground, because I've there's nothing in the world. I've been trying to get you to do one for years. There's nothing in the world that Steve wants to talk about more than Lucha Underground and how it has directly, like, yeah. written the future of pro wrestling. But, like, it's very difficult to do because those episodes don't really exist anywhere. Yeah, that's the thing. They used to be on Netflix, but, yeah, I don't even know where to get these anymore. Maybe they released it on DVD and I can buy the DVD set or something. But I just want you to know that when you see that that hits like the the next episode thing, when you get that announcement, just know that Steve's been pitching that for five years. <laughs> Did you hear the story about how John Moxley found out that uh, Swerve Strickland had been like kill shot or somebody in Lucha Underground and he marked out? Yes, because John Moxley and you are the two biggest Lucha yes. Underground fans. <laughs> he would love that shit. When you really think about it, AEW is just one man turning his fandom of WCW, Shikara, and Lucha Underground into one super promotion and then promoting it. Jesse Ventura began campaigning to be Bernie Sanders' running mate. That's interesting. Very different politics. Like, I don't... Like, we never got far enough with Bernie that I think that we ever really knew who his running mates would have ever been. But I don't think it would have been Jesse Ventura. No. During Paul Heyman's appearance on the Steve Austin podcast, they teased a match at WrestleMania between Lesnar and Austin. Austin then 
basically took to Twitter to clarify that he was retired and would not be wrestling at WrestleMania, except then he did seven years later. This is an aborted, uh, like, Stump Steve that we were thinking about for today, but we did look up and research who the oldest person ever to main event a pay-per-view in WWE was, and it is, in fact, Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania last year. Yeah. That's the wildest shit. <laughs> Shayna Baszler became the first person to ever do MMA, pro wrestling, and roller derby. I mean, that's an extremely specific thing to give her, but fucking, all right, put her in the Guinness Book. And finally, the hammer. Hornswoggle was suspended for a violation of the wellness policy. This was the first wellness policy suspension in three years. Like, imagine that those results come in and you got to be like, well, we can't just let it go. But do we really care that the, the leprechaun smokes weed? I don't. All right. He had to bulk. He had to bulk up for the WLC match. What? I mean, what if he is on steroids? Who fucking cares? All right. To get into the show, it's Sunday, September 20th, 2015. We're at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. It's sold out with over 14,000 people in attendance. I looked up the buy rate. They did 77,000 buys for this, which is pretty impressive considering it's on WWE Network. That's not that many less buys than their pay-per-views were doing before they started the network. See, this is interesting because we haven't really gone back and looked very much at like what the pay-per-view buys were for pay-per-views like after the network launched. So I'm not really the sure if that's amazing. Year for, the previous year for Cena versus Lesnar, they did 44,000. So that's okay. a bit, this is, I mean, they almost doubled that. Like this is sting drawing is what this is. And this is interesting because like you can, we can try to make justifications for ourselves about what would cause that. But really, it has to be lapsed fans who don't want to order the network yeah. getting just this show for Sting. Like, I can't think yeah. of anything else it would be. No, I, I don't think you can say there's any other drawing match on this show. And, like, especially since Sting is exactly the kind of person a lapsed fan would come back for, yeah. I think it's fair to say. Again, makes me, I mean, although... I guess the Raws that had Sting on them weren't exactly drawing ratings, but I do wonder. I think Sting as champion would be different. The idea that he might win. Honestly, if they had put the belt on him, I feel like that Raw rating the next day would have been huge. Yeah. Um, um, on the pre-show... Stardust and the Ascension defeated Neville and the Lucha Dragons in nine minutes and 44 seconds. I mean, so this is. I actually loved. I loved this feud between Stardust and Neville. Actually, this is one month since Cody Rhodes, completely independent of WWE, got a major broadcast television star to show up and wrestle a match at SummerSlam, and his reward is this. So we decided we would play a game here. We both looked at this card and said it felt like an AEW pay-per-view. So what we're going to do is with each match, we're going to come up with what the AEW equivalent of this match is. And I would say the AEW equivalent of this match is the House of Black versus the Lucha Death Triangle. 
I mean, basically, this not is the, the, not, the House of, not the not the House of Black. Um, the Dark Dark Order. The Dark Order. Yeah, it's uh, a bunch of cartoony villainous heels against basically the Death yeah. Triangle. Like it's not that far off. Uh, we get the opening promo, which focuses on the champions and the challenge we'll see tonight. And then uh, opening matches for the Intercontinental title. We've got Ryback against Kevin Owens. Um, interesting, not a matchup that would spring to mind. I kind of forget Ryback was still around at this point, much less the Intercontinental champion. Funny you should mention that. I had thought that this year that Ryback was basically buried because I thought that his run was basically completely over. I didn't even remember that he had had this title run. However, you have triggered Stump Steve. No! Right here at the start, baby. It's Ryback-inspired? Ryback-inspired Stump Steve. What did I do to deserve this? So I gave Steve two options for what the Stump Steve today was going to be. One that I thought was genuinely impossible and one that I felt like was mostly impossible because he doesn't know anything that happened after 2017. <laughs> so this is so he chose the genuinely impossible one. So here's what it is. I looked up what the win percentage rate for everyone who wrestled at least 90 matches during the year 2015. Oh, fuck me. Shockingly, Ryback was fifth with a 79.3% oh. win rate. This is I, w- I went and looked this up because I was like, was he even winning matches at this point? Apparently, yes. The answer is yes. At quite, a, at quite a clip. But I need you to tell me the four people with a better winning percentage with at least 90 matches in 2015. Oh, God. Uh, John Cena? Number one, 91.9. Okay. That's not a huge surprise. I mean, it's, it's always going to be baby faces because they win all the house show matches. I'm going to tell you right now, three of these are exactly who you would think that they are, and the fourth okay. one's going to kill you. <laughs> Randy Orton? Number two, 88%. Okay. The only thing I was worried about with him is he might not have had enough matches because he was injured a lot this year. That's why I had to lower it down below 100 because he only had 90 yeah. matches this year. Uh, Roman Reigns? Number three, 87.8. Okay. And then Ryback is fifth, and we need number four. Correct. Okay. Somebody in this company wrestled over 200 matches this year on television and had a winning percentage of 82%. Actually, you know what? It might not be on television. I'm not 100% no, sure. No, it has to include it. You can't wrestle 200 TV matches in one year. They only have a, you know 52 Raws, 52 SmackDowns. Right. But this person okay. won over 120 matches, the second most of the year after John Cena. Holy crap. Um, I feel like it's cheating if I don't give you something. This okay. is woman. I was going to say Nikki Bella. Are you locking in Nikki Bella? Yeah. That is incorrect. It is Natalia. Oh. Wow. Okay, I was never gonna get that. Yep, I told you it was impossible. Woohoo! Five and ten. I can't tell you one thing Natalia did this year. Apparently, she won 120 matches. Yeah. It was just on every single house show, getting a win. Just for fun, let me go ahead and give you the other stump, Steve, just because I think it's a good one. Seth Rollins defends two different belts on this show. That has only happened two other, three other times in WWE history. 
Can you name those uh, times? So, wait, what was it? He defended two belts? Two separate belts, and we're not okay. including money in the bank cash-ins. Oh, God. Um, uh, Kurt Angle defended both the Intercontinental title and European title at WrestleMania 2000. That's true, but it was in the same match, and I should have been more specific. I was looking for two separate matches. That's on me, okay. so I'll give you that um, one. Two of them are from the year 2019. Oh, fuck me. Who remembers 2019? This is, why, this is what I told you. This is going to be hard. Um, two different titles. Two, and one of them's from 2004. Okay, I could probably... 2004... Um, Chris Benoit was both the tag champion and the world champion. I think it Bad Blood. Yep, Bad Blood 2004. Defended, yeah, it was he defended the world title against Kane in the tag title match. Like him and Edge against like La Resistance or something. That is 100% accurate. Again, yeah. you see why I have to add modern day shit just to get anything past you. <laughs> 2019 double champion. One was at uh, Clash of Champions. One was at Money in the Bank. It's not really narrowing it down much. I know. Uh, that's not helpful. I can't get you there. You I, probably didn't watch okay, these shows. Clash Champions. It's one man and one woman. What month was Clash of Champions? Maybe I if have I know no the idea. Month, I can, okay. Let I remember Seth. <laughs> Becky were teaming up in 2019, but it wouldn't involve that. Um, what else is going on this year? Uh, Kofi was, was the world champion. It was September, and Kofi was the world champion at the time. I give up. I don't know. Funnily enough, the two people we're looking for are Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. So there you oh. go. That was the three. All right. Well. Anyway. anyway. So that was fun. A win for me. What a way to kick this, off an episode. This match, I don't know. It, it was pretty good. Like, Kevin Owens is so much fun. He did some really good heel work here, just crushing Ryback's shoulder. Um, yeah. And then he got the win by raking Ryback's eyes and rolling the big man up. Two things I want to note about this match. The first one is Owens is trying really hard to get over this prize fighter gimmick. Like, I only show up to get win belts so I can get money. That's my thing. And the announcers very obviously don't understand what he's trying to portray. Because they <laughs> keep trying to be like, oh, he wants to shit talk about how he's winning all this stuff. No, that's not the point. He just wants the money for his money. family. Yeah. Like, I don't uh, think anyone got what he was trying to accomplish. <laughs> A pretty good match. Probably one of Ryback's better matches. Ryback actually became a pretty decent worker towards the end, though that may have very well killed him because, like, once he's, like, a pretty decent guy in the mid-card, like, who even is he? Yeah. What's the point? I liked him as a bully heel, like, at the very end of his run. When he was doing that shit where he's, like, dumping milk on people backstage. I thought that was incredible. I thought that's a genuinely great gimmick. Um, I said the AEW equivalent of this match would be Samoa Joe versus Wardlow. 
And at first I said that that was an insult to Wardlow, but then when I thought about it, I'm like, I think Ryback's better than Wardlow, and that bums me out to say it. (laughs) Next up, we've got possibly the worst feud of the year is Rusev, Tenton, Dolph, Ziggler. All sorts of backstory here. On screen, Rusev and Lana split up. Rusev started dating Summer Rae and Lana started dating Ziggler. I loved them just both going with rebounds to get back at their exes. I want to say just at the beginning of this, too, that, like, I believe in my heart that soap opera storylines are something they should have done more with Dolph Ziggler because I feel like he's a perfect fit for them. But with him as the baby face, like, there's just something about it that I think could have worked in, like, that Chris Jericho, uh, Trish Stratus kind of storyline way. Because he actually, he does pretty good in all this. Everyone else is blowing it. So in the middle of this storyline, Rusev and Lana got engaged and they post. I don't even think they posted it on Instagram. I think she texted the photos to a bunch of people and like someone else put up like, congratulations, you know. I don't know, CJ, I don't remember what Rusev's real name is. Alexander, Um, I think, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, this got them absolute nuclear heat. Vince was furious that they exposed his storyline, which is insane. I love the capriciousness of what Vince chooses to care about is fascinating. It makes no fucking sense whatsoever to me, if I'm being totally honest. Like, I just don't. These two people who, like, didn't even make a big deal among themselves, but, like, we're not talking about, like, exposing the industry anymore. It's 2015, Vince. This is some shit that even Bill Watts wouldn't have been that mad about. Plus, they're both heels that are together in storyline. What's the problem? As a result, they just took Lana off TV. She just disappeared. Rather than just putting her back with Rusev, like, the obvious thing to do would have been to have her turn on Ziggler and put her back with Rusev, because they never split, should have split them up anyway. Yep. Instead, and all like, these years later, his hot, flexible wife is showing up on AEW TV. Yeah, she is only just now really coming back and becoming a person who's on television again. <laughs> Uh, so they dropped Lana. So now Ziggler is trying to get with Summer. He bought her a pair, pair of very expensive earrings to make Rusev jealous. They try to basically make this storyline about Summer Rae. And like, I don't want to disparage Summer Rae. There's nothing wrong with her, but I just don't think that she was equipped to carry this storyline in that way. Rusev is awful in this. And it's probably because he's so pissed off about having to be part of it, but he's blowing every segment. He's also just not a character who fits in, like, a soap opera like this. It just doesn't make sense. I did really enjoy this match. I mean, Dolph is great, and so is Rusev. And they're a very good combination, because Rusev can just knock Dolph around. I don't think this is something that's going to be put about a lot when we look back on Dolph Ziggler's career. But I think all of his best performances were as a babyface. And I wish he had spent more of his career as a babyface. like a good bumper. He's, like, got that Shawn Michaels 1996 shit going on. And, like, it didn't really work for Shawn then because you didn't believe it. But it's much more believable with Dolph. And then when they gave him the super kick, like, he'll always feel like a missed opportunity to me on a much bigger level. And that's weird to say because he's a multi-time world champion. And here he's even started wearing pants like Shawn Michaels. 
I mean, honestly, like there are t- mm. there are points during Ziggler's thing where I think he's a better babyface than Michaels ever was, and I know I'm gonna get roasted for that shit. But I just I think he's has such sympathy in a way Michaels never could because you knew Michaels was too fucking good. Does that make sense? I can see that. Um, there's all kinds of nonsense. Summer gets on the up on the ropes. She falls in the ring. She gets ejected. That distraction allows Ziggler to hit the zigzag on Rusev and pin him, which feels like a sure sign that Rusev's got heat when he's losing to Dolph Ziggler. Yep. Um, my AEW equivalent of this match, Miro versus Adam Cole. I mean, it's very similar, except that I don't think Adam Cole, outside of this current tag team, can portray a babyface at all. But I definitely watched that match. Next up for the tag titles, we've got the New Day defending against the Dudley Boys. Yes, the Dudley Boys in 2015. I saw that that's what this match was going to be when they did the cryon before the match, and I was so bummed. But then the New Day came out, and I forgot this is heel New Day, and they are the greatest act that has ever existed. This is when Xavier has first gotten the trombone, and this the trom. What a great prop! Although he can bear barely play the thing, he's awful. But that makes it even better. It's especially funny to me because I don't. Vince never allows shit like this. Like he, like I can't remember any other time where he ever allowed something that would just like loudly interrupt matches in this way. It seems bizarre that they got this like to be part of their act. But it is by far the most over part of their act. They do this really long promo about how they're trying to save the tables. And it's not even a good promo, but they're so charismatic that I loved it. New Day dominate the match as they get heat on Bubba. The Dudleys make their comeback, they hit the 3D, but Xavier breaks up the pin, and that's the DQ. It was not the greatest match, to be honest, but I just love the New Day act at this point. It was funny watching the New Day here, because they got heat when they needed to get heat, but there were a number of times during this match where the crowd was openly going crazy for them. Like Every time anything with the... Tr- the moment, that spot they did where they would stomp him in the corner and the trombone would play along, like, got <laughs> massive cheers. <laughs> that stomp spot. Just great piss take. They would literally stomp guys for minutes at a time. <laughs> And so Xavier's, like, blowing up, trying to blow into the trombone. I struggled a little bit with what the AEW equivalent of this one is. The AEW equivalent of the Dudley Boys is definitely the Hardy Boys. Um, AEW equivalent to the New Day, I kind of was like, is it FTRs, the Young Bucks? I'd say the acclaimed, but I'm not sure that's right. It's got to be, like, a hot up-and-coming team that are, like, charismatic. And I'm not sure, I guess, the acclaimed, but it's not a perfect yeah. fit. No. I don't think there is true. I don't really think there's an AEW equivalent of the New Day. And there's something about the Hardy Boys that even though they're washed, they don't feel as irrelevant as the Dudley Boys were here. 
Next up for the Divas Championship, we've got maybe the biggest women's match in WWE history to this point. Nikki Bella versus Charlotte. At least the biggest since, like, Moolah versus Wendy Richter. Now, I will argue that Stephanie versus Brie was a bigger match. However, especially for the title, definitely it's since WrestleMania 1. There's no question about it. Nikki Bella deserves to be fucking sainted for what she does in her dwindling years in this company. She knows that the change is coming that's probably going to sweep her and all of the other Johnny Ace people out the door. And she responds by becoming genuinely incredible and having an definitely the best women's title reign probably in American history. Um, so Nikki's been the champion for almost a year. She has broken AJ's record for the longest run with the Divas title, which... They made a really big deal out of very silly, considering this title's only been around for a couple of years at this point. Really, they just needed to scrub AJ out of the, yeah. the record books because, unfortunately, they were not on great terms with her anymore. They don't want to show her face on TV. This starts as just a, we're in a holding pattern until the new girls get over. So we're just going to put it on Nikki and have her be a heel and just have it continue on for a while. And now, finally, that we've come to a point where one of the girls is ready, sort of. And Nikki, you got to give it up to her. As weird as this push seems, like, she's ready to put somebody over huge here. On Raw, Charlotte had the title won, but it turned out Brie and Nikki had switched places, so she didn't win the title. Stephanie then announced that while Nikki was still the champion... They would have a rematch at Night of Champions, and if Nikki was disqualified or counted out, she would lose the title. So, no champion's advantage here. What do you think about them choosing? I mean, it's not a surprise that they chose Charlotte to be the first one of the new girls to get this oh, push. Of but like, do, do you feel like she was ready at this point? She was a really bad baby face. She was Our fine churches. once they turned her heel. Yeah. I don't... They didn't really have a plan B, because after this, Charlotte and Paige are going to start a feud, really. But, like, I don't – they went with the new people, but they really didn't have anyone for them to work with. And they're very lucky that Sasha got over the way that she did. Nikki controls this match as she works on Charlotte's knee for, I swear, 15 minutes straight. It just went this, on and on. This is some great leg work, though. Like, this is some good snug shit. The match turns – as Nikki comes off the top rope and gets caught with a spear, Charlotte then puts her in the figure eight and Nikki gives up. It was a pretty abrupt end in. And like Charlotte didn't really like, this is the kind of spot where like she should get her in the figure eight and then her leg collapses. And then she like tries yeah. it a couple of other times until she finally gets it. That's what you should be doing. And instead said she experience. just gets her right away. Yeah. yeah. Crowd goes nuts for it though. It's a feel good oh, moment. Yeah, this is a huge, huge deal. Even this belt is, super stupid look and i love jbl's call where he says you know that's 17 cha- 17 world championships in the flair family even if this belt's piece of garbage put it over it's the women's world title and like i'll always feel like rick flair was kind of doing like a profiteering thing with this charlotte stuff especially at this point i don't know how much he actually gave a shit but he was sure loving those checks so he could be on tv but he bursts into tears as soon as she wins. Maybe he's a really good actor, but he really did look proud of her here. And I think the I'm other sure thing with he was. Charlotte is 
he, you can't disentangle Charlotte from Reed because she only got into wrestling because Reed died and she wanted to fulfill his dream. And that's really what it is. It's like, I'm sure Rick and Charlotte had, have had a, a kind of weird on again, off again relationship like Rick and all of his kids. But like, I'm sure in that moment, him seeing one of his kids finally make it and do it like that probably meant a lot to him. Uh, Charlotte celebrates with Paige and Becky and her dad. Um, I don't know. The AEW equivalent of this, I'd say the AEW equivalent of Nikki Bella would be Soraya. And then, I don't know. Who's the AEW equivalent of Charlotte here? We don't really have a a super hot person coming up like she was here. Like this, Charlotte at this point looks like the future, like the perfect prospect. Jade Cargill two years ago, I guess. So maybe it's like Jade Cargill versus, uh, gosh. I said I, Sor- even... I said Soraya is the equivalent of Nikki, just like the veteran woman. Perfectly fine. Uh, if you want to say she's like the, the highlight person of, you could say it's Britt, maybe. That's another good fit if Britt was a heel. But I, I don't think there's a perfect fit for Charlotte. Because at, up until this point in the business, there had never been a prospect like Charlotte. Uh, we almost get an intermission here as we get a series of backstage segments. We get an interview with Kevin Owens, a panel segment with Renee, Corey Graves, Byron Saxton, and Booker T. And then... Charlotte, Paige, and Becky, those three great friends, prepare to head out on the town to celebrate, and uh, Flair starts to tell them what the best place to go in Houston is. The thing I love about Ric Flair, for all that man's partying, I don't think he's ever partied anywhere cool. Like, he's closed down every hotel bar in the South. I don't, you never hear stories about him actually going anywhere cool to hang out. When you work out the way he has his entire life and you live that life, you're not going to, like, fancy nightclubs and shit. You're going to, like, whatever podunk bar in this town is still open at 2 a.m. Yeah, he's just like, oh, yeah, lived it up at the Howard Johnson in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Lit up the Holiday Inn in Houston. Think about when he was at his peak where he was wrestling. It wasn't New York City and Los Angeles, guys. It was Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, next up, we've got Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, and a mystery partner against the Wyatt family. Um, Braun Strowman has debuted at this point. He debuted on the Raw after SummerSlam. He looks so fucking weird here before he shaved the sides of his head. Agreed. Um, He looks like an asshole. When he first debuted, I thought that he was sucked and was terrible and I wasn't into it. Looking back on it, this was probably a great opportunity to sort of relaunch the Wyatt family, or maybe just Wyatt himself as just him and Braun, maybe. Um, not exactly what happens. No. Um, man, he's huge here, too, because he lost a ton of weight during the yeah. course of his WWE career. Here, he's like, this is after he's been doing the strongman competitions. He is a mountain of a man here. Bray does, I think it's just like a video package for this match, but there's an incredible promo that Bray cuts. It's just like, my sister Abigail birthed me a son so that I could like direct him at destroying the entire world. Because this is the time, the time that we always talk about. The phrase that this podcast holds dearest in our hearts, anyone but you, Roman. 
And like the premise is that like Sister Abigail created Braun Strowman to kill Roman Reigns, and I love, love that shit. Yeah, there's just something magic about Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt. It just clicked. They just because it just it seemed like Bray Wyatt was like a twisted evil version of Roman Reigns. They're both the sons of legendary wrestlers. They're both former football players, but. Roman Reigns looks like he does, and Bray Wyatt looks like he does. Bray Wyatt is a swamp creature, and he fucking hates Roman Reigns. There's such a Batman Joker thing about this, and like that, that it just slips so easily into all of our consciousness because this is how heroes and villains have been presented for so long. And for them to still pretty early in their careers have found each other, I'm amazed they didn't go back to this a 50 more times. It feels like they should have been the touch point in each other's careers forevermore. Yeah. And it just doesn't really happen that way. Roman did dick punch the Fiend to start his universal title reign that's still going. Basically, Roman Reigns dick punched Bray Wyatt out of the industry. Um, rest in peace, Bray Wyatt. I'm sorry, buddy. Like, you're Sorry great. you got dick punched, but also the idea that they were ever going... The idea that they brought the Fiend back after Roman punched him in the dick like that is insane. Like, I, he destroyed I him. One I punch say, right in the dick, it was over. I'm very grateful we're having an opportunity to talk about this match, which is good and features Bray Wyatt's greatest ever feud against Roman Reigns. Because we were kicking around the idea of doing that... <laughs> Hell in a Cell with him and Rollins. And, like, we just couldn't bear to so soon after his death take a giant shit on him. It would. It felt wrong. Maybe next year we'll be able to bury him by then. We can laugh about it. Because I love Bray Wyatt with all of my heart, but we going to take a big old shovel on that match. So Roman and Dean's mystery partner is Chris Jericho, who had feuded with Bray Wyatt the previous year. He hadn't been on TV since then, but been working a lot of house shows this is just kind of the late stage chris jericho role he's just a pinch hitter it's always a surprise return it's so funny because obviously the corollary to AEW in this one is chris jericho himself uh the problem is he's less washed up now than he was here in wwe no, in 2015 he's way better now yeah all right, so who, so who are we saying is the AEW corollary here? Probably uh, the House of Black is obvious for the Wyatt Yeah, family. I said uh, John Moxley, Cody, and Jericho against the House of Black would have been the AEW equivalent of this. It's just so hard Co- for me to look at Co- Dean Ambrose I, I, I and see Moxley. Cody is the Roman Reigns of AEW. Yes. Like, Dean Ambrose and John Moxley have unbelievably nothing in common. Like, you can't even look at Dean Ambrose and imagine him becoming John Moxley. <laughs> yeah, so they edited it out on Peacock, but a fan jumped in the ring here and, like, you know, kind of threw his arm around Ambrose. And Ambrose thought, like, the dude was dressed as Roman, and Ambrose, I think, actually thought it was Roman at first. And then they tackled the guy. But again, like, what a terrible run WWE security was having here. This is also only one of, like, two times I can ever remember somebody actually making it into the ring without security, like, already on his tail. The only other one I can think about is when it happened in that Eddie Guerrero-Rob Van Dam ladder match, where he actually got to push Eddie, and Eddie was about to murder him. (laughs) Uh, Crowd really buzzes with Strowman and Roman face-off. They are very into that. The crowd also, and this must be said, is into Roman Reigns. They have yeah. not yet turned on him. 
No, they had already, but they weren't booing him here. It's interesting. Yeah, my headcanon was that he never got cheered again after that, but against the Wyatts, he's getting mega cheers this whole match. And maybe it's just the presence of Ambrose. Like, somehow... A big part of it. Yeah, every S.H.I.E.L.D. member you attach to him, like Voltron, makes him more powerful. I don't get it, but, like, they're into him here. Reigns fires up and he powerbombs Harper, which is a pretty impressive feat of strength. Um, It comes down to Jericho and Bray in the ring together. Jericho gets him in the walls of Jericho, but Harper breaks it up. Reigns and Ambrose throw everything they've got at Strowman, and they just barely manage to knock him off the feet. Reigns hits a spear, but Jericho blind tags in. He hits a lion salt, but Strowman kicks out so casually, it's absolutely humiliating for Jericho. Just kind of casually throws him off. I love that this is basically like yeah. Chris Jericho comes in here to be murdered by Braun Strowman. This is like in Rocky Four, where Apollo Creed has to die in the beginning. Like Braun Strowman kills Chris Jericho. Yeah, do you remember this finisher Strowman was doing at first, where he would just pick the guys up in a like arm triangle choke? And like that's one of the most terrifying finishes I've ever seen because their legs would just be dangling helplessly until they went limp. Like he should have kept doing that shit. I got to imagine that was hard to do on people, but um, Jericho walks out without shaking hands with Reigns or Ambrose. This doesn't really lead to anything. He does eventually feud with Ambrose after WrestleMania, but I don't remember that they ever brought this up again. No. I mean, this is, I wish every pay-per-view during this era had some version of somebody in the Shield versus the Wyatt family, because it it delivered literally every single time. Um, There have been rumors that at SummerSlam they were going to do a six-man with the Wyatt family against Reigns and Ambrose and Sting, which would have kicked ass, but they decided... Not to use Sting there because they didn't want to give his appearance away if he was going to wrestle um, Rollins here. That's very interesting. I like that. I had I had just kind of penciled in Sting versus Bray Wyatt for the next WrestleMania after this because it just made sense. And like that should have been like the end of Sting. Like just yep. put over he a gets new a, guy. He gets out. Yeah, somebody new like kind of outworks the mind games on him. They kind of do this, but not in a way that's satisfying. But the idea of Bray Wyatt systematically going through and killing all the other mysterious magic characters, yeah. like, would have been very cool to me. Yeah, have him take out Kane, have him take out Sting, have him take out Undertaker. That would have been awesome. I think we both privately pitched the idea of him, like, getting their powers after he kills them. So he's oh, got, like, yeah. fire powers and lightning fire powers and shit. Lightning, yeah. Fucking crows. Oh, backstage, Triple H and Stephanie wish Seth luck, and then Sheamus walks by with his Money in the Bank briefcase to tease a cash-in. Man, I love Mohawk Sheamus. This Sheamus, who has re-debuted with his new music and entrance, which is among the greatest entrances of all time. Um, There's nothing wrong with this guy that wouldn't be fixed by shaving off that fucking facial hair that he has. Where he's got, like, mutton chops that he's, like, yeah. twisted and tied into little braids. Fuck that look. It looks stupid. Proud would literally chant, you look stupid, Adam. Because he, he did. But if he was just didn't have that, 
and he was Mohawk Sheamus. He looks incredible. All right. It's already, well, the first half of the main event time. Yeah. Seth Rollins defends the U.S. title against John Cena. Rollins comes out wearing that amazing white gear that he wore at SummerSlam. I love this. He looks so good. Seth Rollins during this era, I can't get over this. He's one of my favorite characters of, like, the modern era. And, like, I know everyone hated it at the time, thought his title reign sucked, blah, blah, blah. Like, the looks that he's giving is incredible. Like, this this shit that he's putting together looks amazing. This scumbag chosen one character is unbelievably, like, heat-seeking. I just, I love him so I love this music way better than the one with the burn it down part now. (laughs) I am fully in the bag for this Seth Rollins. The thing I was really hoping for was that, and I know they never would have done this, but I would have loved it if Stephanie left Triple H for him. That's the next level of heat. You imagine the heat if he stole Stephanie from Triple H. And like, the feud that we would get later between Triple H and Seth Rollins suck. is it, it did suck aside from the most amazing promo yeah. of Triple H's career. But like the the feud we could have gotten where a Triple H thrown out of his own authority has to turn babyface but nobody trusts him so he can't find anyone to team up with him against the authority <laughs> and he has like, to bring up all the NXT guys. That, I mean, there's just so much you could have done. But as a heel Seth Rollins who's banging Stephanie McMahon is the hottest heel act in the yeah. history of wrestling. What a scumbag with his open shirt, collared shirts and his chest hair. Oh. And I personally would have loved to see uh, Milf Cougar man-eating Stephanie McMahon on my television screen. <laughs> Well, depending on who you believe, if you hit up um, some of the nightclubs in Stanford these days, you might see Eric. Oh, boy. Won't go any further with that one. (laughs) Rollins dominates the first few minutes until Cena fires up and hits the blue thunder bomb. He sets up for the five-knuckle shuffle, but Rollins kicks him in the face and hits a sling blade. Rollins goes for the buckle bomb. Cena counters with a motherfucking hurricane run. What is he get? What has gotten into this man? This year, especially 2015, is the year that John Cena's like yeah. every criticism about my in-ring work I've ever gotten. We're going full indie style, baby. I'm wrestling Ring of Honor style for a full year. Does the springboard stunner, does the um, code red. Surprised he never broke out a Canadian destroyer. If it had been as like common then as it is now, he absolutely would have done it. And there's no, I would bet $10 right now that he does it at Fastlane next week. (laughs) (laughs) I love that idea. Um, Cena goes for the AA. Rollins slips out, hits a super kick. Rollins goes for a frog splash, but Cena rolls out of the way. Rollins hits his amazing superplex into a falcon arrow. I cannot believe he does that on a guy as heavy as Cena. It's amazing that more guys don't get into CrossFit after seeing Seth Rollins. Because, like, we don't make enough of a big deal about how strong this motherfucker is. strong. Because he's pretty small, but he can do this to guys. Cena's, like, 240. Like, it's it's casual. Just brick solid muscle. Got that tendon strength. Uh, 
Cena trips Rollins and gets him to the STF. Rollins crawls to the ropes. Cena pulls Rollins up to his feet. He goes for the AA, but Rollins rolls through and deadlifts Cena into a buckle bomb. That's insane. Incredible. Cena just makes a quick comeback. He hits his diving leg drop and then the AA for the one, two, three. Good match. Didn't love the finish. Not quite as good as the match they had at SummerSlam. Again, just have Seth cheat to win here. I also have another thing where, like, they don't come up. The authority doesn't come up with any sort of plan to help Rollins in any <laughs> no. of this. They just literally no, put him out there on an island. What is that? This is, I believe, this is meant to be the beginning of Seth's face turn because he's gonna. He's supposed to wrestle Triple H at WrestleMania this year, but it doesn't happen because he gets hurt. But this is when like Triple H is starting to test him. So I think this is supposed to be the beginning of Seth as a baby face. I guess that makes sense. It's just he's been established as this architect character, but he really never does any of the kind of stuff that, like, say, Edge would do, where he has a plan, a backup plan and another plan. Somebody's going to run out to try to help him. He's going to try to do this to cheat and win. None. He just wrestles these matches straight up. And that just feels very odd for a chicken shit heel. Oh, Cena then hits Rollins with an AA out on the floor and throws him back in the ring. I'd say the AEW equivalent of this match would be CM Punk versus MJF. Very similar, and I wish these two had had a bloody brawl, because I also think that would have kicked fucking ass. All right, main event time. No rest. Seth Rollins has to defend the WWE title against Sting. Um, I think, obviously, the AEW equivalent of this match would be MJF versus Sting, which I would love to see. It's also very funny that like that match would probably be better than this match was because Sting <laughs> is better now than he was here. Weirdly, he is. He comes out in his red bellhop jacket. Thankfully, he's not wearing a T-shirt, and we see he's in great shape. I believe he's also established that you hate his entrance music and basically his whole deal. They couldn't spring for Seek and Destroy. I mean, you would have thought that if Triple H had been in charge, they would have. Because he would have been like, fuck yeah, Metallica, let's go. I, It's just the the difference between like the way he's presented in AEW, where he's way older, but he's presented as the ultimate legend with absolute reverence. And the way here he's just kind of portrayed, he's portrayed as he's just an old guy here. He's kind of just another guy. It's such a such a difference. It's so obvious that they put him out here exposing him. Like they make no yeah. attempt to camouflage the things about him that don't work. AW, for their credit, only gives him like one match every like nine months, so he has plenty yeah. of time to prepare for it. Uh, Almost they do also a tag match. His matches are always like clusterfuck, like brawls where he and like his newfound love of being New Jack has been an incredible benefit to his career. <laughs> Now, Here they're just like, you wrestle like everybody else, and you wrestle this young guy who's going to run fucking circles around you. But I think he I think he absolutely rose to the occasion here. Until the moment that unfortunately yeah. ruins this match, this is a good match. Like, oh, genuinely man. good. He busts his ass. Um, Sting starts fast. He hits a stinger splash. He goes for the scorpion, but Rollins gets the ropes before he can turn him. 
Sting beats up Rollins on the floor for a while. They go up on the announce table. Rollins knocks Sting off one table onto the other. Sting crashes through the table and legit hits his head on a monitor in the process. Wonder if that was the beginning of him breaking his neck. Yeah, whatever else had happens in this, that probably would have been like a concussion. But like, unfortunately, that's not even what we're here to talk about. Back in the ring, Rollins works over Sting. He hits a turnbuckle powerbomb. Sting says after this he felt a sensation running through his body like he was being electrocuted. I think that's a stinger. That's what happens when your spinal cord moves. Yeah, that's not good. In fact, it's very bad. Now, and there's a worse one coming. That's the first of two buckle bombs, which I find very stupid that you would do that move to Sting twice. The fact that they're even doing it at all, this should be on the band move list, honestly. And it's just like, what is the upside? Is that move more impressive than just a regular powerbomb onto the mat? I don't really know that it is. It's just a lot more dangerous. I think it looks like shit because it looks like you're just being bounced off the padding. And it like, you don't really get the sense for the whiplash. Sting fires up with a series of clotheslines. And a couple stinger splashes. Rollins rolls to the floor. So what is Sting going to do? He goes to the top rope and hits a diving crossbody out to the floor. What a madman. Fuck yes. God, he's busting his ass. It's it's so so funny Uh, because the book on Sting for most of his career was that he didn't really care about wrestling. He really wanted to get into acting. He wanted to do blah, blah, blah. Of all the people that you would have imagined who were big stars that you would find at the age of 60 still leaping off the top rope to the floor and Last jumping off of balconies just for the love of the game, yeah. wouldn't have been him. <laughs> now, it's so interesting. It would be interesting to hear him kind of talk about how it changed because he's very open that, like, in WCW, he was really just there to get paid. Like, he yeah. was not – wasn't a fan of wrestling growing up. He got into wrestling to make money. And I don't begrudge anybody that. No. Like, I don't have a problem. With, I have no problem with guys who just treat this like it's a job. It is. It is um, a job. But it, yeah, it's fascinating. Like, I do. I don't think there's any. Uh, Sting is not doing what he's doing in AEW for the money. I don't think they. I don't even know that they knew he could wrestle when they signed him. Or maybe they thought they would get like one match out of him. I don't think they ever expected that he was going to wrestle, you know, uh, what do you think he aver- He probably averages out to about a match a month. It's just so funny to me that, like, they're like, yeah, can you, like, come out and tag with Darby one time and, like, give him a little bit of a rub? And years later, like, they have, like, the most established legend, like, young guy relationship in the business right now. It's incredible. Uh, back in the ring, Sting hits the Scorpion death drop. Looks like he might get the three count, but Rollins got a foot on the ropes. They caught me with that one. How in the bag were you for Sting winning this match at the time? Oh, I was. De- I didn't think it would happen, but I was so desperate for it. I would have loved it so much to see Sting, be, even if it was for one night, to see Sting be the WWE champion would have been unbelievable. Like, I, I was never that big of a fan of Sting. Um, I didn't see him in WCW, obviously. And this is pre-our podcast where you basically brainwashed me into being a fan of Jim Crockett promotions. Uh, so all I knew him from was TNA, where I fucking hated his existence. So I wasn't really that excited to see him here. Um, but if he had won the title, I would genuinely have been excited about it. 
If he'd won the title, this would have been a TNA show. This would have been a Bound for Glory. Yeah, from now on at Night of Champions, Sting has to win the belt every year. Uh, Sting does a 10 punch. Rollins counters it with another buckle bomb. Um, Sting tries to get up and he can't. Rollins gets him up throws him into the ropes and sting just goes down. He just collapses. This was so, I mean, did you watch this show live? Yes, I did. Um, there's a famous, I thought, uh, I thought, I thought he had a heart attack. I was so scared here. There's a famous counter that Kenny Omega did to the rainmaker where he just, he's so beaten up that he just falls to the ground and, yeah. Kenny, and Okada just goes flying. Cause he didn't know he was going to do that. <laughs> this looked like that, except he just stays down like a bag of shit. Oh, it's bad. Um, so he, he injured his neck when he hit the turnbuckle. He had spinal stenosis, and this, I don't know what the right term to say is, this kind of knocked his, <laughs> this knocked it loose. This was bad. Um, the a, fact a that doctor, we get anything else out of this match is a oh, miracle. Crazy. It's insane they didn't stop this. A doctor jumps in the ring. Um He's talking to Sting. It feels like time stands still. It feels like this goes for 15 minutes. It's actually probably two minutes. But like literally and Rollins has to stay in character because he doesn't know if Sting's actually going to be okay enough to continue the match. But that's got to be horrifying if you're him, right? Like, oh, God. And he like Seth was a little stinger growing up. Seth went for Halloween, which he, I got a story about that. I'll get to in a second, but yeah, I, I, he, I'm sure he felt horrible. And like, I don't, I don't know if it's fair to say he didn't do anything wrong here. I think this buckle bomb is kind of a stupid move, but if it wasn't this, it was going to be something else. Sting had neck problems. He's in his fifties. This is something that was just going to happen to him eventually. Also, Rollins has been doing the buckle bomb for literally his entire career at this point, and he's never hurt anybody with it that I'm aware of. So, like, why would he assume that well, it would happen now? I guess I guess when he hurt, it hasn't happened yet. But when he hurts Finn Balor, it's a it's a turn, it's a power bomb into the um, security wall that he hurts him with. Yeah, within two years, Sting, Finn, and Paige are all going to be fucking wrecked by buckle bombs. So that move should go away forever. Oh, and a month before this, Rollins broke John Cena's nose with a jumping knee. The new RVD, baby. <laughs> Get your um, hands up, kid. It's chaotic backstage as all the agents are in the referee's ear asking if Sting is okay. And the referee has to just say, no, he's not okay. They should have stopped the match, but no one steps in to make the call. And Sting, of course, you know, Sting does not is a proud man. He does not want to, you know, have his last match end in a referee stoppage. He wants to do this right. So he manages to pull himself to his feet and they proceed to do what it's a more elaborate ending sequence that I remembered. I was thinking it's just like, oh, Sting double legs him, tries to put him in the scorpion and Seth gets him in the small package. They do a bunch of stuff here, actually. I think this was the ending sequence they had planned and they probably just went to it a little early. The, the fact that Sting gets on the Scorpion Deathlock, turns it yeah. over, and sort of sits down on it is a miracle. Because when you're doing that and you're twisting your body and sitting down, all the pressure is going on your upper back and your neck. 
How did he do this? I don't understand. Seth goes for the pedigree. Sting double legs him and puts him in the scorpion. And Seth manages to get to the ropes to break it. Seth then pops up and hits Sting with an insiguri. I maybe would have cut insiguri out of the ending sequence. I think Seth Rollins is one of those guys who, like, pre-plans their matches to a T. So, like, maybe he was in his head just like, I don't know what else to do. We planned on an enziguri here. Um, Guess I'm just going to kick him in the head. Rollins goes for the pedigree again. Sting once again reverses it into the scorpion. And Seth, um, you know, great vines the legs and rolls him through into a small package to get the pin. Um I thought that was about as good a match as it could have been, especially when you consider Sting's injury. I thought Sting was great here. Honestly, this match is very good. It was better than the Cena one that happened right before, which is incredible because John Cena is on like the run of his life yeah. right now. Like Sting must have thought, at least in the beginning, probably, and definitely after the injury, that this was definitely going to be the last match of his career. And he gave it everything to make it a worthwhile last match. This is good. I genuinely enjoyed it. I have huge problems with the booking because this match makes Sting look like a dickhead. It does, but they don't care. Like Vince I know. is not into Sting. He just did this because Triple H talked him into it. Well, if you're gonna do that, then have him just eat a pedigree clean in the middle. Like this half-assed 50-50 booking shit is not good. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I guess it keeps Rollins. And we'll never know what the direction for Rollins was really going to be because he's going to get hurt yeah. sort of shortly after this. But it just, it just feels like wasted all around. Sting was in a lot of pain backstage. They put him in an ambulance and took him to the hospital. Sting reassured Rollins that it wasn't his fault. And Rollins told Sting that he dressed up like him as a kid for Halloween, which I find so hilarious in that moment. As Sting is being loaded into an ambulance with a broken neck, Seth has to tell him that he dressed up as him for Halloween as a kid. He was probably going to tell Sting like earlier that day, but was just too nervous. And now he's just like full of nervous energy and just like have to. Maybe we should tell him that I'm a big stinger. I love you, Stinger. I'm sorry. God. <laughs> Almost killed his idol. That's rough. I like. I try to imagine if you had accidentally done something to cause the oh, downfall no. of Sting and how you would handle it, and it would be about like that. <laughs> brought this on us by wishing us this match would happen. Thank God they never put him and Undertaker against each other. They definitely would have killed each other. Oh, for certain. Yes, absolutely. Imagine See, now how bad I'm... that match would have been. I'm now imagining like Sting coming across our podcast, but only listening to the one episode where you shit on him and being like, oh, this no! Steve character fucking sucks. <laughs> I'm so mad they had Sting wrestle that match on Rampage and not on a collision show I could have gone to. That is true. Like we go to so many shows. We, we saw the one with Sting, didn't we? He didn't wrestle, but he showed up on... Um... When they did the Rampage. Um, the Battle Royal, Royal, right? He came yeah. out with Darby. Yeah. One day you'll get to see him live again. <laughs> One day. Never got to saw C- never got to see CM Punk. He wasn't on any of the shows we went to. And now his point. ass is fired. Well, you'll see him in WWE shortly, most likely. 
Oh, there's all kinds of clusterfuck after the match here. Rollins celebrates. Sheamus runs out to cash in and hits him with the brogue kick. And then the Demon Kane returns and chokeslams Rollins. But then he chokeslams Sheamus. And then he tombstones Rollins. And the show goes off the air. This is leading to Rollins versus Kane at Hell in a Cell the next month. The way that they justify this by being like corporate Kane has no knowledge of what demon Kane does. So Seth's like, what the fuck, man? And he's just like, what are you talking about? I was here the whole oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> As I if they're two myself. different people. I guess it's the best they've got, but no, it was not very good. This was an era or when they ran out of things for guys to do, yeah, they yeah, just yeah. have them wrestle Kane. And like that was always like, well, I guess the next month of our lives, we don't need to watch this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Never going to get that time back. Man, when was the last time? I think Hell, Team Hell No was the last good Kane, right? The last good singles Kane was the feud with The Undertaker where he cut yeah. that amazing promo where he's like, everything that's ever gone wrong in your life, it was me. And he went through, like, every single thing that's ever happened in Undertaker's career. Remember when you lost that match to Marty Jannetty? I was backstage hyping him up. He proceeded to wrestle for another ten years after that. Yeah, and that also culminated in that Hell in a Cell match where it turned out that the urn had a flashlight in it that incapacitated people. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Overall, good show, I thought. Usually, usually when we come to these modern era shows, it's depressing. This is neither of our favorite time in WWE history, and a lot of it's just bummer fuel. But man, I liked this show. This was fun from start to finish. All right. Next time, um, something I'm really excited to do. There's a Halloween Havoc we haven't covered. Halloween Havoc 1994. Statistically, somehow, Halloween Havoc is the show you guys care about the most. I don't really know why, but fuck it. It's your time again, everyone. Uh, This one is main evented um, by Hulk Hogan defending the WCW title against Ric Flair in a steel cage retirement match. And... Muhammad Ali and Mr. T are both involved somehow. I don't remember exactly how. Muhammad Ali is here? Yeah, 1994. That's crazy. I have never seen this show. I am very excited to watch the show because Halloween Havocs have the greatest spectrum of absolute hiss, hit or destructive miss of any show in the history of wrestling. I'm very yeah. excited. And more than anything else, we're going to talk about Eric Bischoff and the Honky Tonk Man. Shoot interview legends clash. <laughs> All that and more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time. <laughs>